0: Hey, good morning. Let's try that again. Good morning. All right. You know, um, some of you were just sitting there singing that song and you may have been struggling with the words. You are always good. Some of you may have been going through the process of actually just singing those words and you're hoping that your heart is going to follow your mouth and um, you're, you're struggling. So this morning, I'm hoping and I'm praying that we can reconcile some things in our life. That, that this God who has promised to be good, this God has promised to watch over and to care for us. Um, that we would know and we would sense that. And, and what do we do when there is a sense that maybe that is not always how we feel. Um, we are in week two of five. Five-week series on the ironic Benediction. We're calling it The Blessing. And this is a blessing that God told Moses... Moses, tell Aaron. Aaron, bless the people of Israel, and I want you to say these words to them. And I want you to understand that that same God who was is the same God who is and the same God who always will be. And He wants these words to be pronounced and said over each of our lives. Now, these words are words that I have heard over the course of my lifetime, a good portion of my lifetime, um, and. I didn't always hear them in English. In fact, I, I always heard them in, in Hebrew, and they were sung. But in, in English, this is from Numbers chapter 6, verse 24. In English, it says, May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Uh, a message this morning on three words. (laughs) Numbers chapter 6 verse 24b. We added a b because it's just the second part. The words are and keep you. Last week we did may the Lord bless you. Today we're gonna do and keep you. Now, I want you to just hear from the get-go, and there's an outline, and it gives you lots of information you can look up later. But it's this word in Hebrew, shamar. Say shamar. It means to keep, or to guard, or to observe, to give heed, to have charge of, to protect, to save life. And... You get this if you are a parent or if you've babysat, you're always watching, you want to protect and you want to guard. And there are those moments as a parent. Have any of you ever had that moment where you said uh, you see something that's going to happen? You see your kid or somebody else's kid and disaster is about to come and you have to step in. It looks a little bit like this. Check this out. You know what's gonna happen, right? Here it comes. (laughs) Worst nightmare, right
1: here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, <laughs> Tina That's not all. Thank you. Ta-da. <laughs> Wow. Have you had those moments? Sometimes we have those moments and we go after to try to save and then we need saving all of a sudden. Like how, how did I get myself in this situation? Uh, I remember uh, being dared by my brother when I was a little kid. We had a loft and he said, "Just uh, just dive head first. I'll put five pillows down on the ground. And, and you'll be just totally fine, right? And I did. I went headfirst down there. I, my head hit pillows. And for about 10 seconds, I was totally paralyzed, right? Like you just think, wow, what are those moments? We, we actually need this guarding. And so I want you to hear this today. Um, that this, this word to guard. May the Lord keep you. That God has set himself up as our keeper. That God watches over us. Uh, that that word shamar that we talked about to keep it it actually has this this other root and it's the word shamir and shamir means thorns and it, it, it likens to you think about the Israelites as this nomadic people and they're out there with the sheep and they're going around and the shepherd would have to take a whole bunch of thorn bushes and and corral it around and and keep keep the sheep safe and so that is that, that picture. And so God sets himself up as our keeper. And he does this. And there's a lot of passages in the Old Testament. And I want to just show you a couple. Psalm 91. He will give his angels charge concerning you to Shemar. To guard you in all of your ways. In Psalm 121. And Psalm 121 is actually, it says, the Lord, the keeper of Israel. As a heading in some of your Bibles. I put it on the back of that line. But the whole thing. Talks about God as our keeper, not only in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament. As Jesus is praying this prayer to the Father, he knows that he is about to be crucified. He's going on trial, and there's almost this transfer of power that's taking place. He says, I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep them. Keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them. And not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. And that is referencing Judas. Now, I want you to just hear that. And then it goes on in verse 15. And Jesus is saying, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. So this is Jesus' prayer God, the Father, keep my sheep. Watch over them and protect them. It's in the noun version of this, it's a sentinel or it's a watchman on a wall that is guarding and protecting and keeping. And so God has set himself up like this. Now, there's this fulcrum passage, and I I love this, and it gives us a really good picture of how God wants to be our keeper. In Psalm 91, it says, It is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. And it says, He will cover you with his pinions, his wings, and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. Now, a few weeks ago, Matt Don told us a story about a fire and a, a chicken uh, that protected its young. And it, it comes from, it's based out of this book. Uh, written in 1945, it's the Illustrated Gospel series. And it tells this story on a barn. You have this chicken, the, the barn catches on fire. And all of the little chicks have to come underneath the wings of protection of the mother. And you have a couple of references throughout the Bible where God is saying, "I am like a a hen. I am like this chicken, and I want to gather you." And it doesn't feel like a very strong and powerful image of God. My God is a chicken, right? Like it's what you used to call kids on the playground, right? Like when they were scared of something. Uh, but we have chickens at our house. In fact, um, we've gone through a couple batches because we have a dog that likes to you know take them in his mouth and shake them until they die. And we did have one chicken that survived the incident. Um, he was not dead, but mostly dead, if you've seen The Princess Bride. And he was the best chicken, like forever. And then that incident happened, and we just kind of like, we slowly watched him come back to life, but he had a new personality. It's like, if, if a chicken could have PTSD, this chicken did. I don't remember what we used to call it, but it just became known as, the kids called it, mad Hootie. And... We were scared of this chicken. We would open up the coop, and that's the one that would we would open up the coop, and then we run away, because Matahuti would run after us. It was a scary moment. But if you don't think about it, like I want you to just like check this out. This is this is what it looks like, and you have to see these these. Uh oh, right now we have the dog, but look at the chicks and look at look at Mama Hen. She's not happy about this. It's a standoff, right? What are the chicks doing? They're going underneath the wings. You see all those feet down there? It looks uncomfortable, honestly. I I want you to see this, though. I want you to think about this. That last passage in Psalm 91, it says he will cover you with his pinions and under his wings, it says you may seek refuge. So God has already set himself up. He says, I want to be your keeper. I want to watch over you and you may seek refuge. It's, it's telling us that there has to be some act or will or on our part, there has to be some volition for us that we actually have to go under the wings of the hen. Can you imagine like the hen and all of the chickens are running all over the place, little baby chicks trying to gather them up? There has to be the sense of we have to run to God as our keeper. And, and Jesus has this moment. He's looking over Jerusalem. He knows the doom and destruction that's to come. And then he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together. The way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But then what does it say? You were unwilling. You were unwilling. There has to be a point for us where we are actually willing to come underneath the wings of God our keeper. Of God our protector. But there is something in us that is a little bit resistant sometimes. I want you to think about this because there, there, Tozer has this quote. You've probably heard this before, but it says what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. When you talk about this time in your life that you needed to be kept, that you needed to be guarded, that you needed to be watched over, um, what, what was your response, and how did you approach God in that moment? Do you feel kept by God, or do you feel like stuck under the wings of God? Many of you have experienced something in your life at some point where you felt forgotten by God. Where you felt abandoned by God. I so I have to like dig into this a little bit, right? It's not enough for us just to say, all right, God's your keeper. Just trust that God's your keeper because we're too smart for that. We, we have too much life experience under our belts to just be able to say, yeah, he's our keeper. Because you have had times where it didn't feel like that. I want to bring up Shannon Reese. Uh, many of you know Shannon, but there's part of her story um, that I've asked her to share that many of you don't know. And this is something that um, her entire family has gone through. And so I want us just to just take a few moments. Hi, Shannon. Say, Good morning, Shannon. Good morning, all. And so, Shannon, I just want you to, I I know that this has been part of your story, but we've really never sat down until recently to just really sit down and talk about it. And so, share that with us. For
1: sure. Um, I was 19 years old. It was 1993. My family and I, my mom and dad, and my sister and I were on vacation in Colorado in the middle of the Rocky Mountains. We were about 90 miles away from Colorado Springs. Um, Really, in the middle of nowhere. It looked a lot like the picture that's behind me now. We uh, had been so far away that we'd been cooking all of our meals breakfast, lunch, and dinner um, for about a week or so. And my dad decided that it was time to take his girls to dinner. And so we got all dressed up, put on our best, cleanest jeans and flannels, and we jumped in the truck to go to town. And the town we went to was further away from Colorado Springs into the mountains, into a tiny little town that had one single restaurant. We drove down a dirt road for about 40 minutes and um, didn't ever make it to dinner that night. Forty minutes down that dirt road, um, we hit a patch and our tire blew and we rolled. And I remember in the moment keeping my eyes open and rolling seven times. And when we landed upright in the dirt, our car was crumpled and looked around. And while my mom and sister and I were in the car, my dad wasn't in the car anymore. Instantly, we were trying really hard to get the doors open as best we could and try to figure out where he had um, landed. We found him in the dirt, yards and yards away. Somehow, In the rolling, a door had opened and his seatbelt had unlatched and he was catapulted forward in front of us um, into this field. When we got close to him, his body was mangled, distorted. He was bleeding. He was gray. The sounds coming out of his lungs were not sounds you'd ever wanna hear. And my mom just told us to run. There were some buildings in the distance, we didn't know what they were, so my sister and I started to run. And I remember in that moment just being so paralyzed and not knowing what I was thinking and where God was and just just crying, God, I had no more words. We ran and we ran and we ran and we, we found these empty buildings that we were running through. We eventually found a woman in one of the buildings who had a landline and she was able to call 911. You know, it's a bad day when 911 is busy, and um, she couldn't get through, but she had the phone number of the local volunteer fire chief, and so she called him directly. He just happened to be playing cards with the sheriff, and when they heard about our accident, they, of course, jumped in the car and drove to meet us at the accident site. While we had been away, my mom had to give my dad CPR because he'd stopped breathing, and while we waited for more emergency responders to arrive and eventually waited for a helicopter to come and take him and life flight him to Denver, um, we really, really wondered, I think, what God was doing in that moment. The emergency responders, some of them took us back to the cabin and we picked up a truck that we then drove to the hospital and arrived at the hospital in the middle of the night and were met by a chaplain and a doctor who had just sewn my dad up enough that we could come say goodbye, really. And I remember them saying, you need to come in and see him because he probably won't wake up. You need to come say goodbye. And if he does wake up, he likely will not be the same man that you knew before. The damage has been so extensive. And so we did that. And as horrible as that experience was and the the weeks and the months that followed were so difficult, God chose to begin healing my dad that night and gave him back to us. So we've spent the last 26 years making memories and our family has grown. There's now 12 of us. And every year we celebrate on August 3rd, what God did to keep and protect us. When I think about God in that moment, and as we look back and we tell the story, much like the Israelites told the stories of God rescuing them and redeeming them to their children and their children's children, we gather our children together in August and we retell this story. And we tell them about how God provided for us that that while my mom may not have known CPR without help, she had gone to a class when we were little so that she would know how to do CPR if she ever needed to. She thought she might have to use it on my sister and I, but God used her knowledge to save my dad's life. That the, the woman that we found um, didn't just have a landline that dialed a busy 911 signal, but she had the home phone number of the people that we needed to come help us. There was an emergency responder who arrived on scene, we learned later, was a family friend of ours, and um, he had begun praying for us because based on what he saw, he knew that we were gonna go home fatherless. The helicopter that came to rescue my dad was not supposed to be in the area that we were in, but they were on training exercises that afternoon. So they were so close, they could come and they could pick him up and get him to where he needed to go. We didn't know because Denver had been fogged in where he would actually land. And we learned later that as they were flying over Denver, they said it was as if the clouds parted over the helipad mm-hmm. and they could see right where they needed to land. We see that as our 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 river experience where God parted the waters for the Israelites, God parted the clouds for us and allowed my dad to land. There's countless stories that we can tell of God's provision for us during that time. And we didn't always see it in the moment because the pain was so great. Following Jesus is not leave us with a life that is absent of pain, but it's expecting a God who is with us in the pain and who keeps us in those moments as we choose to run to him. One of the greatest um, byproducts of that accident for me personally is that God changed my view of him. God became so much bigger for me through that story. My dad and I had an amazing relationship before that day, but so much so that I'd put my dad in a place where I didn't trust in God first. I trusted in my dad first. When things went bad, I ran to him. I didn't run to God. And with my dad's physical weakness and brain damage and recovering and all the things, I had to learn how to run to God and allow him to be my keeper, allow him to be my rock and my refuge. And so I look back on that as just an amazing experience as a family, but also for me in my own spiritual formation and growth, that God used something so traumatic to develop me into a person who understands how to follow him and how to run to him in times of need. Psalm 31, one through three says, In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be ashamed. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me quickly. Be to me a rock of strength. A stronghold to save me.
0: Thank you, Shannon. Thanks for sharing. <clears throat> That's an amazing story that God saved and protected you, Bob. Love you and thankful and Bob's voice in my life and countless hundreds and thousands of others, um, that God was good, that God kept and God protected. Um, And so we run to God in those times of safety. But I also want you to hear this, that, that we need to run to God for intimacy. It's in those times when we are struggling and we feel abandoned and God, where did you go? It's, it's the disciples in the boat. Lord, don't you care that we are all perishing? Do you see what's happening to me? And then we, we hit a verse like this. And this is Deuteronomy 32. It says, in a desert land, he found him. In a desert land, God found Israel. He found his people in the barren, scorched earth of the wilderness as God protected his people. In a barren and howling waste. It says, he shielded him and he cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye. Now we see this, this phrase, it's an idiomatic Hebrew phrase, the apple of his eye. Uh, the interesting part is the word apple actually never shows up in the Bible. Uh, in Hebrew, the word apple is tepuach. And... It doesn't show up. In fact, the word that is is there is actually this word ish. In fact, it's ishon. Ish means man. Ishon means little man. So let's retranslate this. It says that he, God, guarded or kept Shemar. God kept him, Israel, as the little man of his eye. Doesn't that make a whole lot more sense now? (laughs) Nope, not at all. But this is what I want you to do. Look at the person next to you and I want you to look in their eyes. And I need you to get awkwardly close. I hope that if it's not somebody you know, you're gonna be new friends with them, it's okay. But you have to get close enough that you look into their eye and get close enough to the point where you can see your reflection of you in their eye. Do that. You have permission in our American culture to step into this for a second. kind of close, right? Uncomfortably close. So what does this mean? When Israel was at this point in the wilderness where they had nothing, they were—they had God, right? That's all they had. And God is protecting, God is watching over them. In that time, in that storm, in that trial, it says that God kept them, kept Israel, kept his people as the little man. That means that He kept them so close during that time. That it's in those times when we are struggling. It's in those times where you get the diagnosis that you didn't want. It's when you lost somebody that you love. It's when you lost your job. It's when your kids have run wayward. It's when financial disaster has come upon you. It is in those times where it feels like He has withdrawn all of His keeping and all of His protection and all of His guarding. And Israel had every right to feel that, right? Like we could at least eat really well in Egypt and now look where we are at. God says, no, I'm keeping you close. I'm keeping you as the little man in my eye. I'm going to have you so close that you will see my reflection. That's our God. It is in those times. Those of you who have been through the trial in the wilderness, you know. Because you can look back. It's really hard to sense it in that moment. It is really hard to feel it in that moment of, God, what is going on? But God is keeping you. God sees it all. The passage goes on and says that he is like an eagle. God is like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them aloft. The Lord alone led him and no foreign God was with him. It's this picture of care and hovering. And all I can think about is the story that Eric told two weeks ago and a week ago. Do you remember the bird of prey hovering over him? And he thought it was going to come down and swipe him and take him. Do you remember this picture from last week? <laughs> Eric, it was God hovering over you. It wasn't the bird of prey. <laughs> but God is there. And he is with us in those times. Now... Practical example: um, This week, went to uh, Sacramento. Um, Jed, our middle guy, uh, missed his fourth grade Sacramento trip last year, so uh, I was going up for a conference in Sacramento, and we headed up a day early to go see uh, the the capital, we'll get to go around and see all the sites, Sutter's Fort, and all of that. And, uh, we we had a friend that let us borrow a bike, and the plan was that Jed was going to ride the bike, and I was going to ride one of those really fun motorized scooters. Like the line bikes that are like always tipped over all over the streets, all over the place here. Well, Jed's legs were not long enough for that. So we had to, we switched. And I, I was trying to think of helmet laws and all of that. But all I remember is we are running through the streets. We were riding through the streets of downtown Sacramento. And I kept looking back, right? Like, because this is my role as dad. Like, I'm going to keep, I'm going to guard, I'm going to protect. And I kept saying, Jed, come on, come on, stay close. Get under my wing, right? I want to protect him. I want to protect him. We had a fantastic, it was his first flight on an airplane on Wednesday. We get to go behind the scenes of the, the Capitol building and we met people. We had a private tour. It was awesome. We, we ate at Bubba, no, not Bubba Gump's, Joe's Crab Shack. And we had the best time together. And then it's the afternoon, we're heading back and my wife calls me. She says, Matt, um, there's something wrong with Jack. Uh, Jack is our perfect golden retriever, this guy right here five years old, and she said that when she brought the kids home after school, he came limping across the grass, which is, Jack is, we, we say, golden retrievers. They're like, you know, wonderful. They, he, he, I always said he was needy, and my wife figured out he's actually just adoring us, right? He loves us so much that he's just... You know, we have two dogs, and one dog is just constantly running around hunting, like a real dog. And then Jack is just sitting at the back door just watching humans, right? He loved his humans. And when they came home, he just came and limped, uh, and then he just fell over. And so she brought him to the vet. And we went from absolutely nothing wrong to 12 hours later, uh, my wife had to make the decision to have him put down because cancer had overtaken his entire body. And now, I have to tell Jed. And all of a sudden, this passage that I've been sitting with for a couple months now, I can answer this question in a much different way that I was not able to even a week ago. Of I could tell you theologically that God is there and God is with us, all of that. But as I sat there and I, I told Jed, Jed... Um, We have to put Jack down that he's going to die. That Jed, we're sitting on the couch in the hotel room, and now he's under my wing. And he's crying, and this dog that I thought I didn't love somehow struck a chord in my hardened heart. My heart grew four times larger that day. And we're, we're sitting there, and we're crying, and I'm holding him, and it's, it's awful, right? Like, it makes me never, ever want to get another animal the rest of my life, right? Like, it's so, you, you've lost animal, right? The animal lovers in here, you're crying right now. I see you. And we just sat there for 20 minutes, and I realized, like, God, in his role as guard and keeper over us, it's, it, it's not that he keeps those things from us but that he is with us when we have those things that happen to us. Does that make sense? And so some time passes and I look at Jed and and, and he's sitting there. This is in our hotel room and he grabs the phone and he looks up a verse. (laughs) I mean, this is one of those like, all right, God, I didn't teach him this, right? Like, this is just like, you have put this on his heart. And he looks up a verse and I look over at him. And I said, what are you looking at? And he, he just holds the phone up and he shows me. And it was this verse. Thank God, like going to school and like he's, he's putting these memories into his life and his heart. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will ne- neither fail you nor abandon you. So a five-year-old dog and an 11-year-old boy taught me what it looks like to have God as my keeper. And I pray for each of you, knowing full well that many of you have something that you are in the middle of right now. That God wants to be your keeper. And our job is to run to him. To come under the shadow of his wings and say... I'm going to trust you as my keeper. That you're going to get me through all of this. You won't abandon you. We're going to go into a time right now. We're going to worship. We're going to respond. And we're going to go before God. And here's my hope and my prayer. Um, As we take the elements, I want us to remember God gave his son. That God is with us. And that as we take these elements, as the bread and the cup are passed, that we remember what he has done for each of us. Um, I always said that if I ever wrote a book, that I already knew the first line. I already know the first line. I don't know if it will ever happen, but we'll see. The first line of this book is, I am the keeper of this room. It was this idea that I know what's in my heart and I'm going to keep it and I'm not going to trust anybody else with it. I am the keeper of this room. And so I kept everybody from all of that. And then through a series of events and tragedies and all of that in my own life, I realized that God was telling me something different. It wasn't me as the keeper of my heart, but God said, I, Matt, am the keeper of your heart. And so as we go through this morning and we take these elements, I want us to remember this God who loves, who loves so much that he gave his son, Jesus Christ, that those who believe will never die, but will have eternal life. So will you pray with me as we take these elements together? Father, our God, our King, would you be so present that even right now as we take these elements that we would know and that we would come underneath the shadow of your wings, that you would hold us close, that we this morning would run to you for safety, that we would run to you for intimacy, but Lord, that we would run to you. And I know that many here have been running away. So Lord, help us to return and to repent and to come back underneath your wings. In the name of Jesus, amen.